This is Voices of COVID-19. I'm Brian Lucas. Thanks for joining us. From the very beginning of this pandemic, we heard reports about COVID-19 being particularly dangerous to people with pre-existing health conditions. So what do you do if you live in a community where that puts a large percentage of the population at risk? That's the case on the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota and for the members of the Oglala Lakota tribe. The reservation is home to more than 19,000 members of the tribe. The members struggle with poverty and have the lowest life expectancy in the country. That's the case pre-COVID, and it illustrates why keeping the virus out of their community and helping those who are most vulnerable is a top priority. In this episode, we'll hear part two of my conversation with Helene Gaddy. Helene is a member of the Oglala Lakota Nation and a resident of Pine Ridge. She and her husband run a nonprofit called Generation Indigenous Ways, which runs camps for American Indian youth focused on integrating science curriculum with traditional Native values and practices. Since the outbreak, Helene has been part of an Indigenous response effort, reaching out to people across the reservation to offer education and support. Here is part two of our conversation. If people get a severe case, do you have ways to care for them on the reservation or do they need to get taken off the reservation? There's over 30 cases right now, um, active cases. I know there's over 100 positive cases, but when they do become severe, they do take them to a bigger, a better um, hospital because they require more intensive care. Mostly, you know, to Memorial Hospital in in Rapid City. Now, because of COVID-19, you can't be with your relatives when they get sick. And so they're going to this by themselves. There was a doctor who came and spoke who was on the front lines um, down in the Navajo Nation, Dr. Williams. She informed us that from what she's seen on the front lines was um, most of the people who didn't survive were people with underlying health conditions, which meant, you know, diabetes, heart disease, obesity, cancer. Knowing this information, it kind of, it didn't kind of, it really did um, alarm me because most of our people at a certain age in the reservation have diabetes, have heart disease, are cancer patients, are dialysis patients. So it really, it really alarmed me, including my own um, first degree relatives. My mother is on dialysis. We keep praying for good health and that they don't come into contact with anybody who has this, this scary virus. And it has to be a little bit difficult because you mentioned that often if there are like 17 people living together, that's a high concentration and that can be trouble if the virus gets into a household. How is that being handled? And you did mention that if people test positive, there's a place where they can go to be isolated. Is that correct? Yeah, they have a quarantine place within our reservation. They stay there through the sickness and hopefully they don't have to be sent to another medical facility or anything. There's healthcare people who come in and check them daily monitor them and then they make sure that they have the proper meals and stuff so so the risk factor is in terms of you know a lot of people living together i think it's been proven around the country that socioeconomic factors and pre-existing health conditions and anytime there's a crisis like this unfortunately it tends to hit underserved communities harder 
and you're dealing with a lot of issues related to poverty and health conditions and things like that. So it's got to be hard because it's a you have a vulnerable population and you're really just trying to keep it out. Is it stressful for you to, to think about how you really, you can't let your guard down or this could get out of control? Oh, yeah. Yeah. These are sleepless thoughts. When we first began COVID, um, the COVID response, we just sent a call out within our organization. Back in March, we made 30 packages of Clorox and simple instructions of how to dilute it and clean your house and this is what COVID is. And this was before the president had done the emergency declaration here within our tribe, but we were monitoring it and, you know, talking about prevention. And um, whenever the first case came into the United States and um, our people had no idea. And we started out with our campers, grandparents and within our community. And we just picked, you know, went through the community and said, here's some Clorox and, you know, disinfect. And here's some of our cedar our juniper cedar and our um, red cedar to azalea and here's some sage to clean the air to drink so that you can be you know your immune system can get stronger you know these things you you can't sleep at night because you're you worry about people when they shut down the entire reservation and shut down the meals for the elders um we did the first delivery and that's when I realized that this one bag of groceries isn't going to feed this entire house for two weeks. We have to do more than this. We have to show, you know, it's like stock up. What are the foods that can last for a month? What can you do to feed your family of 17 people with 10 of these people in your home being children? How can you make sure they eat for two weeks, you know? What kind of foods can you keep that are non-perishable, that are healthy, that's the key is healthy foods. We have a lot of canned goods that have high sodium that cause heart disease and stomach problems and intestinal problems that are just being given away, you know, and um, our people are being subjected to eat this because that's all that's been given. When you're looking out for the people, you have to look on different ways and, and you worry to make sure that nobody gets missed. And so I really send a big shout out to our volunteers because they go beyond. And if they run short on something on our list, like carrots or potatoes, or there's not enough celery, and there's not enough of the gluten-free flour that's in there, then they go and they buy it themselves and put it in there. And for our elders, we always make sure that there's coffee because they love coffee. You know, that's a staple. <laughs> I wanted to ask about some of the traditions and things that are really important to the community in terms of gatherings and ceremonies. And how do you do those things socially distanced? And have you figured out ways to adapt to preserve important cultural elements, but do it in a safer way? Yeah, through the indigenous response across the reservation, um, when we get on our calls, we look for solutions. And one of our TUIs, um, Iron Cloud Two Dogs, she brings suggestions and also um, Ate Richard, two dogs, um, on how we can reach all of our families and just to keep hope up because there isn't, a, you know, we can't come in mass gatherings or anything, but we can, we can support our families within their homes and 
give them, you know, the guidelines on how to make their, you know, how to take care of ourselves, how to take care of their children and how to encourage people to believe in their, um, believe in themselves, basically, and to believe in their prayers. The, the real thing is to, um, you know, the Western world calls it West um, mental health. And it's really important is um, to keep people in a good mental health. And through our spirituality and through our Lakota culture, we can stay mentally strong and you have to have a, a strong support system and a, you know some maybe somebody doesn't have that support system through social media you know you can you can hang on to what you find and it's really influential so when you do see something negative it really impacts you if you see something good out there that reaches out to you it's really um impactful also in terms for our elders what we would like to do is to get them um you know technology these devices so that they can have these types of conversations within each other they can meet as groups and they can conversate and see each other we've seen it these past three weeks how social interaction is improving we just carried out a virtual science three-week science program over zoom with 17 youth from across the Pine Ridge Reservation and also other reservations and other states. And through these three weeks, some of them have never met. Some of them knew each other from previous science camps we hosted. But myself and the other mentors have seen them grow to, they log in by themselves, you know. Some of these these youth might not have anybody waking them up in the morning. And they didn't have the technology. So that's one thing is to find resources to provide our people with technology so that they can be part of the conversation and they can be part of these discussions and these programs. Things like that can happen. And um, we still, just as we would at camp, we on the computer, we went through and we did our Lakota prayer. We did our words of encouragement. We carry it, but it was socially distanced and it was awkward at first. But as we came through the week, you know, we stood up when the honor songs were saying. Our mentors showed up and did a full presentation um, on the Battle of the Little Bighorn, you know, put on their the dance outfits and and showed our um, other campers across the computer. And so they got to experience that even not being at camp. They still experienced that. When you think about the elder community and their vulnerability to this, but also the importance of that community in terms of being the oral historians and keepers of a lot of the knowledge about the culture and even healing and things like that, how important is it to really put a wall around the elders and make sure that that you're protecting them at this time when their knowledge and their presence in the community is so important? The... Elders are our wisdom keepers. They keep our knowledge. A lot of them are our language bearers. Um, we have language vitalization programs, and I tell you from trying to com- go through one of these online language programs because of the so- social distancing, it's hard. But when you hear the elders speak, you can understand them. And when we do anything in the community, when we take any action that we do, we always call our elders, whether it be within our family or we reach out to a respected elder in the community, 
we get the elders' permission, and that's the way that um, things should be conducted. You always call your elder. It might be your older brother, your uncle, your auntie, your grandmother, your mother, father. But we make sure that um, because they, they've walked this earth longer than us, and they've learned lessons that we haven't even come across yet. And in their era of time, they experienced hardships and trauma that we could never imagine. Some of them have lived through the last pandemic. We have an elder who just turned 100 years old. And um, we couldn't have a birthday party for her, if, if you know. And so we had to do a social distance powwow to protect her. To protect her, to make sure that our beloved matriarch of our community would not be infected by, you know, be come in contact or even put at risk. It's really important and we really, and when we do do these deliveries, sometimes we're the only people that come in contact with um, our elders. They might not see anybody until we pull up again. And they're probably peaceful in their life and doing their thing, but by us bringing them their groceries and their toiletries and their cleaning supplies, at least they know they don't have to take that risk and go out again. So it's it's really important that um, we continue to do this. I think that there's a human nature to isolation. Even if you're comfortable being by yourself for a long time, something like COVID brings isolation to a new level. And I think that dealing with that lack of human contact, lack and, and the need to isolate can be really hard for everybody. And it must be hard for those people in your community as well. It seems like there's a long history in our nation of indigenous communities being hit hard by pandemics and by sometimes even sadly intentionally with things like smallpox and the wave of the Spanish flu and cholera. There have been so many health crises that have swept through indigenous communities, and this seems to be the next one. In some way, is this seen as just another chapter in the way that indigenous communities have to respond to this kind of a crisis? And in that way, is the wisdom of the elders maybe helping you get through this? I always say, um, and I'm actually working on proving this, um, but, you know, because in Western science, you always have to have your proof and your, um, you know, your articles of um, data and everything. But Lakota people are the fastest adapting humans. We're, we're, you know, we're just like any other organism on this earth. We're like this, any other population, the plants, the four-legged, the birds, everything. As humans, Lakota people, we had to adapt faster than any other race. And we did. We were supposed to be abolished. We were supposed to be, you know, gone. They tried so many ways to wipe us out. Every indigenous tribe within the North American continent, it was a goal, you know, it was something that the United States government wanted to do was to wipe us out as indigenous people. And we've proven over and over and over that we're strong and we're resilient. And we had to adapt to our lifestyle whenever our lands have been stolen. They're still being stolen. They're still stolen. We've adapted. We've adapted to our lifestyle here. We're still adapting. 
And so this new pandemic that puts us in social isolation, we can overcome it because we are the fastest adapting race. We have conquered, you know, I can say conquered because we have, we live on, we can walk in two worlds. We had to, a whole generation had to learn a new language. It was beat out of our parents and therefore we all speak English. Our children and grandchildren more, learn more. They know more Lakota than us because it's back in our schools. Our parents don't didn't get the knowledge of the plants and the medicines and the preventative care. We got it. Our children are going to know more than us. So through adapt, adaptation, we'll persevere through this pandemic. And by us coming back to our indigenous knowledge and our Lakota culture and our Lakota knowledge will be more successful in, in persevering through this. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Is there anything I didn't ask you about that you wanted to be sure to mention? Um, one of the things that is impacted um, that I want to bring to light is that our um, access to healthy water. In this pandemic, we have a lot of people on our reservation who don't have good water, who don't have running water. And when we were put in lockdown, a lot of the people couldn't go and buy water like they usually do when they live out of the country. And that's one big, big impact is the access to clean, potable drinking water. And in this pandemic, that is should be on the forefront to um, help people get access to clean water and to sustainable energy. So, you know, we already have the unemployment on top of unemployment rate. But because of this pandemic, you know, and the limit, the limited access to travel, people have to stay home and, and you know, jobs are scarce as it is. My worry is that whenever the cold season comes, how are they going to heat their house? How are they going to pay for the utilities? You know, is this going to have an effect on that? Is it going to have a harder effect on people to get water, especially in the winter times who have to haul water to their homes and to who have to drink bad water? We have high rates of arsenic and uranium, and that's that's the truth the reality of our water supply here on the Pine Ridge Reservation. Yet another obstacle to overcome and, and a, another test of the resilience that you've shown for generations at this point. Yes. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and good luck with everything. And I will keep you all in my thoughts and hope that, that there is no further spread and that, that all of us can get this under control and that we can try to overcome this together. So thank you for your time. Okay, thank you. Thank you for reaching out to us. Voices of COVID-19 is an attempt to document the thoughts and feelings of people who are perhaps outside the limelight to get personal reflections on how a pandemic impacts all of our lives. If you know of someone who might make a good guest on this podcast, please send them to me at brian at truevoicecommunications.com. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay separate and we'll get through this together. Mm-hmm.